Hey guys, gals, we, the, they, them, whatever makes you feel sexy. Your girl B here back at you with episode 11 of Strip It Down, entitled, You Can't Touch This. <laughs> Before I start, I just want to say that this week's content is a bit sensitive. It's of a more personal nature than some of my other ones. And I just want to warn anybody that it might unintentionally contain some triggers for some survivors of assault. Um, I ask that you keep an open mind and to consider the positions and the needs of all the individuals involved before passing any kind of judgment or opinions. I've kept all the parties and the outcomes anonymous as to further this type of separation. So that's just my little, you know, FYI um, disclaimer notice before the episode starts. Most of us have experienced some type of harassment or uncomfortable situation at work. For women, the prevalence of such experiences can even be tripled. And not all industries are created equal when it comes to the frequency of these occurrences. According to the National Women's Law Center, service-based industries in which employees rely heavily on tips or customer approval have the highest concentration of sexual harassment reports. Workers in service and retail fields were found to file three times as many claims as employees in higher-paying, salaried positions. Part of what sexual harassment is, is an expression of power, and in industries where the worker is indebted to the consumer for their living, there is an almost inhumane amount of this leverage involved. But even if an employee wanted to file a complaint, an analysis by the Washington Post found that nearly three-quarters of those filing sexual harassment complaints also reported getting retaliation, suggesting victims are at a high risk of encountering further professional or financial punishment if they do come forward which is probably why 70% of all workplace incidences go unreported. And it's very likely that that number is much higher, but it's just hard to say due to victims' unwillingness to cooperate with formal investigations. A lot of underreporting comes down to fear of retaliation from employees or from customers. Victims often fear they won't be believed or they'll get blamed for the incident. As a result of pressure to remain silent and to appease the customer, service workers reported deterioration in their emotional well-being, including increased depression and anxiety. This buildup of apprehension and expectation of traumatic interactions can lead our brains to act to protect ourselves, often resulting in disassociation. Steinberg and Schnall define disassociation as an adaptive defense in response to high stress or trauma characterized by memory loss and a sense of disconnection from oneself or one's surroundings. This usually occurs when someone's mind feels the need to protect itself by disconnecting from one's emotions, body sensations, memories, or senses. If something we all do, you know, we all do that, it's a vital part of our ingrained survival system. It helps us cope with situations that we might otherwise find overwhelming. But when trauma occurs, sometimes this system disconnects to a greater degree in an effort to protect the individual from this traumatic material or sensations or emotions or even memories. For the traumatized individual, disassociation may help them survive a situation that may have otherwise been intolerable. It can help a person feel as if the situations are muted and distorted so they can go into kind of an autopilot mode to survive these extreme circumstances. However, when the trauma is ongoing, this association can become fixed and automatic, making the integration of memories difficult for the brain, and it continues to send signals of danger even when the traumatic situation is over. This process is all too familiar for those of us in the industry. Strippers are some of the best disassociators that I know, myself included. Sometimes it's just the only way to deal with the relentless and systematic onslaught of unsavory behavior that we have to deal with on a constant basis. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad, it just is what it is. Most of the problem boils down to consent. 
Unfortunately, American society tends to see consent as an all or nothing type of thing, a yes or a no, you know, with no room to vary or to change. If someone consents to any kind of sexual situation, the world around them assumes they are consenting to all sexual situations. A stripper's job is sexual by nature, yes, but that does not give clients the right to push our boundaries or to violate our consent. So where other service-driven employees already struggle to come forward, strippers can find it even more difficult to complain because it's seen as a hazard of the job and just to be expected. Huffington Post explained it well when they said, anyone who trades in sexy is sometimes seen by the mainstream feminist to be caving into the patriarchy, an opinion shared on both sides by both the right and the left wings. This well, what do you expect type of mentality leaves women that choose this line of work with little to no support. That cry of she deserved it and the outdated idea that there are good women who command respect and bad girls who don't, rather than just women as a sisterhood who should all be commanding respect regardless of their occupation. It is this kind of attitude that has let sexual harassment and abuse prevail. That's what this is all about, really, isn't it? I mean, not sex, but power. The idea that everyone has a price, that complicity and silence can be bought or bribed away is a side effect of capitalism, and you're going to find it in every career path. But with dancers... That whole they-can-just-walk-away mentality usually comes from people who have never had to make that kind of decision. When it's your career and reputation and livelihood, it's just not that easy. And because we're independent contractors, strippers have minimal protection from sexual harassment even if they do report it. Aside from the expected discredit that they're going to receive from authority figures, if a client gropes them without their consent, stalks them, or makes them feel unnecessarily uncomfortable in any way, there's really typically nowhere for us to report this behavior. Even if your club does have a reporting system of some kind for sexual misconduct, oftentimes the business has no real legal obligation to investigate or file any kind of complaints against the assailant. So not to mention that's not the kind of reputation that clubs are aiming for, and they usually seek to sweep that under the rug whenever possible. I will say that I feel fortunate that the club that I work at has not been one of those that tend to ignore such complaints or worse yet participate in them for money, but it is still an uncomfortable and ineffective process nonetheless. Given this uncomfortable reality, many dancers turn to substances to cope with the stress, which in and of itself contributes to the rise in assault and drop in reliability, but that's another episode altogether. In this week's episode, I'm going to talk about a particular situation that highlights this issue in a very common situation that all strippers would find themselves in at some point or another. I discuss the different ways that different girls tend to respond to these situations and why it can be so hard to do anything about it, if anything at all. So let's strap up and strip it down. Okay, so I'm leaving work. Um, It was our company Christmas party tonight, which we usually have um, mid-December every year. And they do like free drinks and free buffet for like an hour, um, like eight to nine o'clock. It's all, it's 100% free drinks and free food. So as you can imagine, it's always a little bit of a shit show um, because customers come in and get absolutely wasted in the first hour of the night and then you know it's kind of a crapshoot from there how the rest of the night is going to go um sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's really bad but tonight was one of the nights where it was really bad um everyone was really belligerent and really rude and girls were all over the place and it was it was no one was spending money and it was just kind of kind of rough all around for I think for most of the girls I mean the general consensus that 
I got from everyone I talked to was that it was it was a little trying um, for sure. But um, <clears throat> the worst part for sure was one of the girls uh, kind of like stumbled up to me at the, at the very end of the night and was like, are you going to the back? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, can I come with you? And I said, sure. And I could tell she was like not okay. Um, I know her. I kind of, I kind of, I'm, I'm friendly with all the girls. I'm always friendly. I, I talk, I chat, you know, I'm nice. But I don't get super bonded, super close with the majority of the girls. Not because I'm trying to be mean or rude or anything like that, but just, you know, there's such high turnover. People come and go. Um, I'm really not trying to form alliances or anything like that. I'm just trying to work and go home. So I'm not incredibly close to most of the girls. So, uh, but I could tell she had that, like, this sounds bad, but being a mom and being older, she kind of had that deer in the headlights, you know, baby lost lamb. I really need someone right now kind of expression. And I'm totally happy to do that if I can help. So, you know, we go into the back and she breaks down just hysterically crying, hyperventilating, mumbling, you know, not really making a lot of sense. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong? And she said that she thinks that she got drugged because she only had like two or three drinks and she feels really weird and really out of control and she doesn't understand um, what's going on and all that news. So it's, it's very, judging by the way she was describing it, it's very likely that that happened. Um, unfortunately, it does happen. Um, again, part of why girls need to be really careful about their surroundings and they can't lose track of that, you know. No matter how much fun you're having or how nice somebody seems or anything like that, you cannot afford to forget where you are and that you're vulnerable um, at all times. You know, you can't leave your drink lying around. You can't let people bring you drinks, like, other than the waitresses and stuff, obviously. You've got to be diligent and protect yourself because nobody else is going to. So it did sound like she might have been drugged. Um, but at the same time, I genuinely think she was having an anxiety attack, which was not helping, you know, her feeling dizzy and lightheaded and, and all that kind of stuff that she was describing because she'd had a really bad um, situation in the VIP room. So basically she was messed up, obviously was fucked up, high, drunk, whatever it was. And she said that the guy, you know, really took advantage of her. And I'm like, okay, well, what happened? And she's like, well, he stuck his finger in my ass and was groping me and trying to like, and she's like, and I, I told him no. And he told me he was going to leave and he was going to like get me in trouble. And, um, you know, he was basically being very, um, inappropriate with her. And I think she felt this very uh, terrible combination of possibly being incapacitated due to alcohol or drugs, but also just that typical like female guilt and stress that's compounded when you're a dancer. You already, we already have that freaking ridiculous, like, I'm a woman, I can't tell a guy no, I can't make him mad, I can't make him feel bad, you know, I can't make a scene. We already have that stupid guilt ingrained in us that's so hard to break out of. But when you dance, it's even worse because you have this extra layer of, like, entitlement because you're like, they're paying me, you know, they're paying for my time, they're paying to have a good time, and if I don't show them a good time, you know, I'm gonna get in trouble, or I'm gonna make them mad, or 
whatever. And, it, and, it, and it's very hard to retrain your brain to remember that you're still a person and you still have rights and you still have feelings and it's okay to enforce those. And it's not okay for people to treat you like you don't have that and to mis abuse you, you know? And that's what I told her. I said, honey, I was like, he sexually assaulted you. And she's like, well, but, and, you know, she had all these, all the excuses of like, that I didn't know what to do. And, you know, he was being really mean and, um, and I, you know, I, I didn't want to get in trouble and all these things. And I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I'm stuck in this conundrum of wanting to be supportive to her and make her not feel bad and not make her feel guilty because that's the last thing she needs right now, but also trying to empower her and trying to make her understand that she doesn't have to take that. She doesn't have to put up with that. You know, I was like, honey, you've got to, I'm like, first things first, you've got to breathe and you've got to calm down. You got to get dressed, wash your face, breathe, drink some water. You got to get your head right so that you can really figure out exactly what did happen and be clear and be concise about that. Because if you want to report it or you want to, you know, complain or whatever you want to do, you need to make sure that you're, um, you know, a, a credible Source. You don't want to go in there slurring and sloshing around and looking, you know, because the last thing that we need is for people to have an excuse to discredit what we're saying. You know, you don't want them to take, not take you seriously and what was, what was done to you seriously because you seem intoxicated or you seem out of sorts or whatever. So unfortunately, it's one of the situations where you got to put your big girl panties on, swallow all that shit and like pull yourself together for the greater good. Um, and she was struggling with that, of course. Um, but we were trying to kind of talk her off the ledge, kind of get her to breathe and all that. Um, but again, I was also just trying to make her understand, like, you don't have to put up with that. You got the money the moment you walked into that room. So you had the money. And no, no manager, bouncer, any authority figure in this club is going to cite you or get on to you for leaving or complaining if he is violating you or he is disobeying or, you know, breaking the rules. Um, you know, she was also extremely worried about that. She was extremely worried that she was going to get in trouble, that, you know, she was going to get fired or suspended or in trouble for what he did to her, even though it was not voluntary. And I said, well, first of all, no one's pulled you aside. No one, you know, has grabbed you and said, oh my gosh, you're getting written up. You're in trouble. So you're probably clear on that aspect of it. And, you know, no one probably knows but they should know. You should complain. You should make a scene. You know, he paid with a credit card. You have his information. You know who he is, or they do. It's not okay. And the only way it's not going to be okay is if you complain or, you know, is if you make it not okay. But it just brings up such a bigger issue that it's so hard for us as dancers to have any kind of autonomy for ourselves. It's like people act like because you are selling entertainment and physical space and intimacy and all these things that you're selling that they have a right to anything they want about you or from you and that's not fair and they act like we don't have a right to refuse any requests that we're not comfortable with and that's not true and it's also hard because when people do violate us or people do break the rules or push our boundaries it's so much harder for us to enforce that and to have repercussions for that behavior because people don't respect us and don't take us seriously. It, it's like 
victim shaming 101, you know, even if she was straight as an arrow, not drunk, not high, even if she had not a single substance in her entire body and she, and she tried to, you know, report that situation to the police or whatever, it, it's never going to be dropped. The fact that she's a stripper, you know, it's going to be the report, obviously, you know, and it, it, it's not going to be, okay, here's a woman fully capable, fully understanding of herself and her situation that was violated and abused and taken advantage of. And she knows who the person is. She's complaining about it. She wants to file a report, whatever. It's always going to come back to, well, but she was a stripper and she was in the club. So how serious can we really take these allegations? You can take them very fucking seriously because that they are what they are. She was doing her job and he took advantage of that. But it just sucks because that's just the world that we live in where that will always be a constant struggle to try to fight that boundary, that barrier on top of the already difficult challenge of being a woman and pushing your for your boundaries and pushing for your, you know, autonomy and all that. It's just like it just layer on top of layer on top of layer. And it just it sucks, you know. And I really felt bad for her because you know, I've been in her headspace before. It's that cycle of guilt and, and confusion and anxiety and you know, she really felt personally responsible for what happened, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, again, she is responsible for not putting her foot down and telling him no and enforcing that, but that just comes with maturity and with age and with experience. You know, she wasn't comfortable enforcing her boundaries and that's a shame and it's terrible, but it's so common and I'm not immune to that. I have problems with that on my, on my own, but luckily I have been working in the industry long enough that I don't have a lot of problem with that at work. Um, I still have problems with that in my personal life with people I do genuinely care about and I want to be in my life, but at work I don't really have that problem so much, but you know, she's very young and she's very new to dancing and um, a lot of the girls do still have a problem standing up for themselves and pushing, you know, and enforcing their, their boundaries. And, and it's just so hard to watch because I know it, it just hurts and I feel so bad for her. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm drinking water because I'm very thirsty. But it also kind of made me uncomfortable not because she was upset or anything like that. Like, I'm happy to help if I can. I, I felt bad because I know she was embarrassed asking essentially a stranger to comfort her in this very uncomfortable moment, but that doesn't bother me at all. Again, like I said, I mean, I'm very maternal and I care very much. And, you know, I think that some of the younger girls see me as kind of a constant in the club. You know, they know I'm kind of an OG. I'm there all the time. I, you know, I don't cause any problem. I think they kind of see me as a little bit of a safe space. I'm not one of the girls that's going to cause drama. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Um, I mean, obviously I'm telling you guys, but in an ambiguous way, you know, I'm not going to turn around and tell one of the girls that knows her or, you know, I'm not going to make a scene and all that kind of stuff. And I'm glad that she felt comfortable that she could trust me for that because, you know, I would, I would hate for her to have put that trust and vulnerability in somebody and them to have abused that and later gone back and made fun of her or made her uncomfortable or whatever. But, um, it still made me, it made me uncomfortable because it, it brought up some feelings I have about myself, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that like, 
I felt judgmental of her which made me very upset with myself and not just mental of what happened or the way she reacted because all of that I completely understand and I can relate to it was more me being judgmental of her weakness and her reaction to the situation and that like I all I could think of is you know the million times over the years I found myself in the same situation and I was able to very successfully disassociate, you know, very successfully just tune it out and, you know, unfortunately in, in my past probably put up with way more of it than I should have. Um, and then now, you know, be able to put my foot down and deal with it appropriately. But either way, how I didn't let it make me fall apart, <clears throat> how I... I compartmentalized it all in my brain and some would argue that that's a you know it's a survivalist mentality when you've lived through trauma especially sexual trauma you're you're good at that you're really good at dissociating and compartmentalizing things as like almost like as not reality as this isn't really happening or whatever it'll be over in a minute and I can pretend like it never happened and that kind of stuff and it's sad and it's terrible but it's true and so I just kind of am sitting here looking at this girl being very open and honest and vulnerable and having the right reaction to the situation, you know, being just mortified and embarrassed and hurt and all the right emotions for what just happened. And all I can think about is how if it had been me, I literally wouldn't have said anything. I wouldn't have needed anybody to comfort me. I wouldn't have told anybody. I would have literally just been like, God, what a fucking asshole. And, uh, you know, I hope this room ends soon and get out of there and be done. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but it is what it is. And I find myself resenting people that aren't hardened and aren't, um, like accustomed or aren't, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but I almost resent her vulnerability and her, um, innocence, I guess. Um, because I just, I just don't know what that feels like. I, I just feel like as far back as I can remember into my childhood, even I've just never had the luxury of falling apart. I've never had the luxury to feel vulnerable or to feel needy or to feel weak. I just, it, because no one was going to pick me up. No one was going to fix it. No one was going to brush me off and tell me I could do it. It was always up to me. And so it seemed like an unnecessary display of weakness for myself. You know, why put a show on for myself? So I just never did. And I just don't think I'm able to. And to this day, I'm still extremely uncomfortable. When I finally reach my breaking point, which happens sometimes, you know, we're all human. When I'm stressed or, you know, I'm upset or whatever is going on that pushes me to the point where I finally do break and kind of have a little mini meltdown, panic attack, whatever. And I have to be honest or vulnerable and, you know, basically admit out loud that I can't handle something anymore, that it's too much for me. It's like the worst feeling in the world for me. It's the worst experience. It's the hardest thing in the world for me to do. I'm not good at asking for help and I'm really not good at asking for, for help. I don't know. Um, 
so I was really proud of her for being able to do that. So I'm conflicted. It's like part of me is just like, yeah, girl, like good for you, you know, being honest and being like, I'm not okay and I need this and I need help and I don't know what to do. Like good for you. But at the same time, like pull yourself together. No one's going to feel bad for you. Like this is a hard lesson in life that you need to learn now sooner than later that like this kind of shit's just going to happen. If you're going to dance, you're going to be in this world, this kind of shit's going to happen and you better toughen up and, you know, learn how to dust yourself off and move on with it. So I just, I hate that. I hate that's like the two extremes of the situation, but it just kind of is. So yeah, I mean, um, I guess I don't really have a point. I'm just kind of rambling about it. I feel, I feel really bad for her and I hope she's okay. And I just told her, I said, you know, you need to collect yourself. You need to, you need to get sober and whatever else is wrong with you and all that. Um, and then tomorrow you need to collect how you feel about all this. You need to decide exactly what you think happened and how you feel and decide if you want to pursue it or if you don't and go from there. But regardless of what you do about this situation legally or whatever going forward, you need to take this situation and remember it and form a plan and a procedure right now for when this happens again because it will. There will be another time, probably sooner than later, that you will be put into a position where you are very uncomfortable and pressured or, you know, whatever it is. And you need to learn from this and do better for yourself. You've got to say no. You've got to put your foot down. You've got to stand up for yourself so that you're not left feeling like this because that's not your fault. You know, he was the pig. He was the asshole that took advantage of you. And it's not your fault. But we always all feel like it's our fault, don't we? <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Whew. Well, if you stuck in there till now, you probably got an earful for sure. But even though my rambling and dramatic statistics, I hope that the point of the episode still got across and y'all got something out of it. I've got a lot more kind of after work conversations with myself that I want to be including in the cast. And I hope that y'all will join me as well in keeping with this craziness. But until then, please like, subscribe, rate, and review the show. And also don't forget, you guys can just call in to be a part of the show and I might feature your question or comment on an upcoming episode. You just go to anchor.fm slash down slash message and leave it there for me. Or you can email me at bstripsitdown at outlook.com or of course on Instagram or on Facebook. But until next time, drink more water, have more sex, and go the fuck to sleep.